Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with our subject of Doctrine of Atonement this morning. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we're, we welcome you all. We're so glad you could join us this morning. And we, we will start with our beautiful morning prayer. I'm reading excerpts from page 220 of Divinity Court and General Collectania, otherwise known as the Blue Book. <laughs> what is the atonement? It is self-sacrifice that finds the way for others through the experience that meets and overcomes error, then shows this way to others who have slept to save them from a similar experience. Mentally treat yourself that nothing can govern your actions or come to your thought that is not from the divine mind. Be strong there. So many sinister suggestions come to mind. Watch. And each day, commit yourself to the care of our one parent. Trust him. Turn to him in all your ways for light to direct your footsteps and wisdom to enable you to separate the tares from the wheat so that you can judge well between the human or the evil suggestion and the good or divine impulse. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful. Thank you very much. All right, Karen, the watching point. Watch number 279. Watch lest you claim immunity from error while you still retain a sense of its reality in another. Casting a sense of sin upon another exposes the sin within yourself. Mrs. Eddy once said, you will be condemned until you refuse to see condemnation. Also, on page 131 of Miscellaneous Writings, we read, Whoever challenges the errors of others <clears throat> and cherishes his own can neither help himself nor others. Thank you. Okay, comments. I was grateful for this this week because especially having the... Um, <clears throat> That Pharisee's prayer, I thank thee that I am not as other men. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a lot of what I encountered in Christianity was the thought that, you know, we're we're born again and we're we're really good, but everybody else is going to hell, and that's somewhat acceptable. And I'm very grateful that Christian Science is not like that. It's for everyone. Everyone will will pass the test eventually. Grateful for that. Thank you. Yes, and we we certainly don't. Think any everyone else is going to hell? Mm. <laughs> Anyone else? Well, I know my. <clears throat> I've been told, <clears throat> excuse me, on many occasions that if we see ourselves in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, like we're supposed to, um, we have to make sure that we're seeing everybody, our fellow man, there also. And if we are condemning others or think that there's, we're seeing them other, you know, differently than um, 
what God created, then we have them outside of the kingdom of heaven. And that will only hurt us. Yes, thank you. And that keeps it impersonal so you're able to handle it better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, just the simple golden rule, isn't it? Yes. And it's definitely the golden rule. Yep. The two great commandments, loving God and our neighbor as herself. So what about woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. What about that? Well, I think because of the Pharisees, the way they treated most people and looked down upon them, they were condescending. That did not help the average person who was trying to enter. They went to the temple. The publican went to the temple, to God. And that's how it had to be, because they didn't help their fellow men. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus, what, he had his roughest rebukes for the self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees, those that were doing this, looking down their nose on everybody else and yet not doing it themselves. So, and this watching point isn't meant to say that you don't rebuke because you you need to, you have to rebuke an error because that's how it can be seen. Um and it's also true that there are many Christian scientists, and I know, I, I know I've done it, who, who fall into this too, where you, know, you end up somehow thinking you're better than everybody else, even because I'm a Christian scientist. And I know this and that, and maybe you don't. So <clears throat> this is a very uh, sobering watch message that we all need to take to our hearts. Florence, were you gonna speak? But I think you, you can't name Christian scientists in just the name. You must be living it, you know, proving it day by day. Uh, because I, I know I've met people who say, well, I'm a Christian scientist, so why should I have this problem? Yes. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't do it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, that is part of whole, all of this. This lesson is a very interesting take on Doctrine of Atonement. Because um, it's all about, you know, re- repenting and, and doing it and having humility. It's, it's sort of the door to your at one with God, what, what it's required of you. Can you imagine a mathematician calling himself or herself a mathematician and then complaining about having mathematical mo- uh, problems to solve? <laughs> Well, if you're going <laughs> to, if you want to be a Christian scientist, get ready for problems to solve. Yeah, that's what we should be doing. And, and not definitely not just for ourselves, but for the world. To release the world from this spell of animal magnetism, this Adam dream. 
But I think the problems are, you know, for everyone, and, and listen to other people, Christian, anyone, it, it's coming to everyone. But thank God for Mrs. Eddie's clear explanation well, Christ Jesus is healing first, and Mrs. Sadie's clear explanation of how we deal with the problem. So thank, we thank God for that and humbly accept the way we are shown to solve these problems. Thank and you. And said we solve it for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And that's, you know, that's exactly why Albert Einstein called Christian science the ultimate science. Because it's the only thing that will solve the whole world's problems. Quite a responsibility when you realize what it is that we have. That's very, very true. Now I'm going to um, quote to you. This is in the very, very, very first page of Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Footsteps, which goes along with the watching point and which is very sobering. Um, Mary Baker Eddy speaking to her followers from the balcony at Pleasant View with Calvin Fry at her right hand. Text of her remarks. My dear students, guard your tongues. When you see sin in others, know that you have it in yourselves and become repentant. If you think you are not mortal, you are mistaken. I find my students either in an apathy or a frenzy. I am astonished at your ignorance of the methods of animal magnetism. Your enemies are working incessantly, while you are not working as you should. They do not knock. They come with a rush. They do not take me unawares. I know before they come. Would that my head were a fountain of waters and my eyes rivers of tears that I might weep because of the apathy of the students and the little that they have accomplished. You have never seen me in my real home, but you may sometime come with me into it. That is for us now. It's for all time. Um, it is quite sobering. And as we get more into this, some um, things that Carrie sent and things that I found that we're going to talk about today <clears throat> about this true repentance and reformation. It's an ongoing thing. You never arrive something we, we do, we should be doing all the time, checking our thought, where are we? Adam, where art thou? Are we seeing our brother as he truly is or not? And as we talked about a lot, true love is correcting the error with love. You can't just let it go on. Um, in that way, you are bringing healing to the situation, which is needed. Otherwise, you're letting it continue. But again, it must be done with love, and you, you never leave it in the, in the negative. You see that person in the right sense, 
usually after a, a rebuke, there's also a benediction of love for that person. So now on the tail of that beautiful quote, I, I wanted to mention, and I hope you all have read Mary Baker Eddy, her spiritual footsteps, especially those of you who have been around a long time. Um, Tony, I mentioned it once a few weeks ago. Tony has done a, a very beautiful website. Who is Mary Baker Eddy, right? Yeah. And in it, there are beautiful pictures of, of Pleasant View, which was the home she loved so much, and also other things um, about her. <clears throat> and we now have it on our website. Jeremy, you want to tell them how to find it? Yeah, just go into the, the first item that's on the carousel is for Mrs. Eddie's writings. Just go in there, and then it's at the end of the carousel on that page. Or if you just scroll down to the bottom, it's, there's also a link at the bottom of that page. Is Tony here? Yes. Yeah, Tony, Tony, yeah. you want to add something? Go ahead. Well, a couple of years ago, I had a, a website that was, it had some photographs up as well. And I wanted to do something for Gilbert Carpenter because I was so touched by that book when I first read it. But we read, you know, we have a, a, a duty to our leader and I've, kind of wrestled with that and then uh, Florence asked me what happened to the old website and suddenly it just kind of clicked that with everything we're talking about here it was time to you know put the truth out there so I was able to buy the website who is Mary Baker Eddy so it's all one word who is Mary Baker Eddy and it's there to address the wrongs that the world says about her and our hope is that we, we can share it with others and in response to things that we might see or hear or read. And the website just kind of speaks for itself. Thank you very much. So you can all look at it. Look. And the more people go there, the higher it'll get in the rankings so that when yes. people actually search for who is Mary Baker Eddy, it will be there on that first page. So. Thank you. And that's what we want. The correct view of her. So, so yeah, do, do look at it. Do use it. Um, read it. Florence? Yeah, and there are three dots on the side. Don't forget to check that out because that pulls down all the other areas of the website. I particularly like the the um, testimonies that uh, Tony has recorded there because they are selected from journal articles <clears throat> and they're different. I do like the, the, you know, a lot of, some of them are about medical to Christian science and, and how Christian science heals. Um, I like those very much. Yes, and he said he's going to continue to add to those to keep it, um, you know, keep it moving, fluid. That'll also help the rankings. <laughs> yeah, that'll also help the rankings, and um, that's wonderful. So, so yeah, a lot to see there and, and to be supportive of it, because all of these things, when you use it yourselves, that's how you support it, and that's how it will help. Bless all mankind. So thank you. Go ahead. 
No, hopefully it's it's really giving the right picture of who Mrs. Eddie is instead yes. of negative, so much negativity about her. Yes, thank you. All right. Doctrine of Atonement, Jeremy, the Golden Text. Matthew, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ Jesus. Thank you. Okay, any comments on our Golden Text? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've been watching The Chosen a lot. And the, the Pharisees very rarely showed any compassion for their fellow man at all. So <laughs> it's quite easy to now, it's easier for me now to see exactly what Jesus was addressing in his time, that thought. So. Yes. Yeah, no compassion at all. Always uh, involved with just the letter. That's why I read it was a couple of weeks ago. It was also in a watch message where Mrs. Eddy said, love must over be much more in our hearts and minds than the letter. Always about love. What is the loving thing to do? If you do the loving thing, you can never be wrong. I don't care if it doesn't match the letter. It must have love. And of course, divine love. God's love. Or if it's on the Sabbath day or not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> yeah. Or authorized or unauthorized <laughs> or whatever else is, is the current. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But we're not. What? Yeah, we're, we're, we're not bound by organizational constraint. Thank God. Yeah, the, the watch message last night was, you know, paraphrasing, forgetting the things of the past and reaching forward. That's a bad, <laughs> yeah, but you understand if you heard the watch message last night. And this thing about sacrifice, you know, in that religion, you know, you had to sacrifice for your past sins and mistakes, and you couldn't never let it go. You had to continually sacrifice for those. And so we're leaving <clears throat> our problems, mistakes, sins behind through our change of heart to our reformation through living you know humbly and then you forget it you have to move on once it's forgiven so i think this is a pretty important statement because it's really upending you know a, an age-old practice thank you yes yep <laughs> and that's how era works it torments you day and night you know no matter what you do you're still a terrible sinner there's no way you can get out of it. You're just a terrible sinner. And uh, and thank God science tells us the truth about this. And yes, once you have repented and, and changed your ways, then the Christ comes in and completely transforms you. And that leads me to, again, pond and purpose. In miscellaneous writings, it is so very important you read this, study it. And the first, the first baptism is the baptism of repentance. And is indeed a stricken state of human consciousness, wherein mortals gain severe views of themselves, a state of mind which rends the veil that hides mental deformity. 
Sometimes that's really hard to do. You're blinded to your own faults. This is why you keep going and doing them over and over again and justifying them because you're blinded by them. You haven't truly repented and changed. You're justifying yourself. That's why Martha Wilcox says that justification will lead you to either a hospital or an insane asylum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too good. And Mrs. Eddy says that um, excuses are intolerable. Never excuse yourself. So, tears flood. Also, not stop the murmuring, right? In 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 the journey, because I mean, this. Oh my goodness, this is taking so long. I mean, we haven't gone there yet. These things will cease when the. I mean, it ceases when it ceases to bless or something like that. <clears throat> I I just quoted that to someone. Um, okay. it, uh, this will cease to occur when it ceases mm -hmm. to bless. So these things happen over and over, deja vu all over again until you learn the lesson. And if you think you're doing everything right, well, maybe you're not, or you wouldn't keep having to repeat the same thing over and over. So she goes on to say, um, Tears flood the eyes, agony struggles, pride rebels, and a mortal seems a monster, a dark, impenetrable cloud of error, and falling on bended knee of, knee of prayer, humble before God, he cries, save or I perish. Thus truth searching the heart neutralizes and destroys error. This is a process that has to be taken. And if you don't take it, you won't pro progress. You'll always be in the same spot over and over and over again. You have to do this. But then you, then after you do it and you truly mean it, then you can move on. Um, and you should move on. You don't just dwell on and feel sorry for yourself or carry on about it and think about it and beat yourself. That's not it either. If you've truly repented and changed, you will move on. <clears throat> and then to the next, which is a wonderful stage, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a spirit of truth, cleansing from all sin, giving mortals new motives, new purposes, new affections, all pointing upward. This mental condition settles into strength, freedom, deep-toned faith in God, and a marked loss of faith in evil. In human wisdom, human policy, ways, and means, it develops an individual capacity, increases the intellectual activities, and so quickens moral sensibility that the great demands of spiritual sense are recognized and they rebuke the material senses, holding sway over human consciousness. It goes on. But that's a, a, such a wonderful state to leave that other past state behind. <clears throat> So that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's interesting because Christian science, we don't have to be dunked in water to be baptized. These are the stages of baptism. And then the final, the third, is the baptism of spirit or final immersion of the human consciousness in the infinite um, ocean of love is the last scene, the corporeal sense. And in and, and thinking of it, in this lesson, this is this is how you attain your at one with God. These are the steps. 
to get your at one with God, and they must be done in that order. I, I truly thought I, I tried to skip that first step <laughs> because I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a good person. I was trying to be good. So I didn't I, I didn't really have this deep <clears throat> repent repentance until finally, finally I got beat over the head so much. I realized what I was doing and how I was disobeying God and how I needed to say and I did and I still do at times save, save or I perish. The best way to be that Charles Stanley says you stand stand your tallest on your knees. Stay on your knees. And and yes, learn this. <clears throat> so we have two stories in the lesson that, that are illustrations of this. The first in the responsive reading about the Pharisee and the publican. Anyone want to comment on that? Yeah, the, the, the publican was ready for the first stage. <laughs> he was willing to admit he had a problem, and he was asking for help. The Pharisee wasn't ready for the first stage yet. He, he, wouldn't, he thought he was at the third stage already. He was self-deceived. I looked up uh, Pharisees. Because uh, I was interested because of the chosen of the lesson. They were gone totally. 70 CE. You could explain CE. Thank you. <laughs> so it's AD, we'll say. <laughs> gone. They lost. And there was a battle between, I didn't know this, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. An actual battle. Wow. Well, see, the human mind can never unite. They're always fighting. Um, who should be greatest? Who shall, who shall be greatest? Yeah. Yeah. We have something very beautiful on our um, noteworthy news that Bob Parthen sent from California. No, from Colorado. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It brings me to tears. I've watched it many times. But it, it's a, it's first with what was it the Black Lives Matter, yeah, protesting, and then it was another counter protesting group, and they're rah 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 roo roo, and then they just decide they all hug and love each other, and they're crying and weeping, and it was so beautiful, and that is what I feel like, um, doing, or that's how I feel when I see all this protesting and this and that, and goodness me. And in Love Your Enemies, where Mrs. Eddy says, and I can't quote it exactly, can, it, can you, Linda, about, um, for anyone who hates me, I, I will tell oh. you I love you, and I, if I would never do anything to harm you. Remember that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She would like to take the person. Yes. And tell them that I love you and would not knowingly harm you. Would not knowingly harm you. Yes. And truly, we must. This is part of your repentance. We must feel that. If, we, if we've if we ever knowingly harmed anybody or whatever, in the past, whatever, we repent of that. And do say from your deepest heart, I love you. 
I would not knowingly harm you. And and that just would, as she says in and that, that I just read, it neutralizes the the error. And and so brings peace. So we can send that out to the world. Uh, just the waves, deep waves of love, divine love. And there's no reason for all this fighting and carrying on. We're all children of God. Well, that's what I noticed. The first thing the Pharisee starts his prayer with is comparisons. Thank you. Go ahead. Yes, Betty says comparisons are odious. And yes. It's that competitive, competitive pride. Thank you. And it, it's seen sin in every, you know, others and themselves. I mean, it's a, it's a very... Right. And in his case, <laughs> he's attaching evil to persons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is saying that there is such a thing as an evil or a wicked or a incompetent or a, you know, untrustworthy or whatever person. And God made that person, right? That's the lie the devil would like us to believe. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And one of these articles the- Carrie sent to me, um, she, she brings this author, Adelaide Singleton, brings this point out, that comparison is always breaking the second commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That is, the spiritual idea is all there is to a neighbor, and she quotes Mrs. Eddy saying, blindness and self-righteousness cling fast to iniquity. Okay, Karen? Well, I was just going to say, I was thinking about when in The Chosen, when Jesus is in the temple in Nazareth, and he's announcing who, you know, he reads from the Bible, and, he, and he's saying that the who they've been waiting for has, is here. And the Pharisees say, um, you know, they don't like to hear that, of course. <clears throat> and then they said that, you know, this whole thought about the Pharisees and who they, or their self-righteousness really goes back to whether they thought that they were the chosen, they were the chosen people. And since they were chosen by God, they don't have, that's, that's enough for them. Yeah. <laughs> God chose them. <laughs> yep. And I just, I realized in that scene, you know, what do we have to, we're chosen. So that's where their self-righteousness and their superiority, you know, goes back to the Old Testament, that, that um, God shows us. So Thank you. That, Thank uh, you. Yes. And that's why, the, you know, it can come in many forms and in many ways. And that's why, as, as Florence was saying, that you can do it as a Christian scientist. I'm a Christian scientist. Why should I be sick? Why should I have problems? Mm-hmm. Why indeed? Yeah. That is a very arrogant, a very, very arrogant thing to say or think. You know, that you're above it all, right? Yeah. That has nothing to do with Christian science. And I but I have heard it through the practice through the years, as Florence says as well. Our third citation in Science and Health says the atonement requires constant self-immolation on the sinner's part. So what does that say to us? It's an ongoing self-immolation. It's self, 
sacrifice herself, getting rid of self. Exactly. We have to constantly get rid of a, of a belief that we have some kind of a selfhood other than as the reflection of Almighty God. So if we see if we see something other than God likeness in somebody else or in ourselves, we need to work to get rid of it, to replace it with the truth. And if you don't, you're a sinner and you don't know it. <laughs> <clears throat> And that that was the thing, you know, that there were so many things I was doing wrong and I didn't know it. And that's what where Mrs. Evans was so helpful. Um, so many things I was doing wrong and I did not know it. And I, I clung fast to, to it. I hung on to my tatters. And it, it took a while. It's in this week's lesson, too, about un, unwinding your snarls. You've got to be willing to see what you're doing and why it's wrong, why it's not of God. And then get rid of it and not just think it's, well, that's just the way I am. Maybe that is your human personality, but that's getting rid of self. Sacrificing your human sense of personality for your individuality. And to be to take rebukes well, uh, chastening of the Lord uh, is yeah. how you grow. Neither be wary, wary, uh, wary of correction. Yes, neither <laughs> be right. weary of correction. Bleed sweetly. That is how you grow. If you refuse to do it, you will just stay in that spot. But you've got to take the correction, be grateful for it, and grow from it. And isn't that a good test? Yeah. And gracefully, graciously take correction and be grateful for it. That is a huge step. If you get all upset, if you rankle over a correction, or if you feel, you know, oh, all ground up inside because someone hit a nerve, well, you know, that's pride. But it's a good thing. It makes you look at, okay, what, what went so bad? <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly the right response to it. But, you know, if you if you say, well, how dare he or she <laughs> uh, or, you know, or if you're not willing to give up that 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 nerve that someone hit, well, then, you know, you you're clinging to your tatters and you're not going to grow. And what a shame. I remember once asking my. Go ahead, Lenny. I remember once asking my, my former teacher, you know, we were struggling with something big, and I was like, what, you know, I was, I was almost begging him for a, a rebuke or something. It's like, what are we doing? And he couldn't, it was just like, it was just such kind of the same retread, retread, retread. And he's like, he, he couldn't come up with anything. And I remember as much as I didn't like rebukes when I first came to the church at Plainfield, I was just so grateful for the honesty because finally there was something, I felt like I was getting somewhere. I felt like someone was actually, you know, that, that self, that mental anatomy that Mrs. Eddie talks about, that, that 
self-examination in, in, in learning how to burn off that false sense of self. It was, it was a relief to finally have, you know, that help. Yeah, someone who cared enough. Because, I, I mean, I knew I had a lot, lot of things wrong with me, but I would always put on this good front. Finally, someone saw past that good front and was willing to help me. And in one of these, another one of these articles Carrie sent, I thought this summed it up well. To despise not the chastening of the Lord is to capitalize every disappointment, every sorrow which comes from our failure, to abide by his laws, turning them to profit by amending our ways. Turning them to profit by amending our ways. So whatever comes to you, you learn from it, you amend your ways, and you turn it to profit. And it's wonderful. And then this, you know, Sam Samuel Greenwood was one of my favorite authors. And he writes an article, which we should have on the website, The Healing Mind. And it says, Mrs. Eddy tells that sick humanity looks for relief in all ways except the right one, science and health. Mortals examine the material body, watch its action, regulates its food, and so on, instead of looking into mortal thought for their enemy and putting out what has no business there. It is obvious that trouble of any kind could not occur in human experience unless human thought had first made it possible nor could suffering result from any circumstance apart from mental action. Therefore, the potent remedy in sickness, as in other errors, is to obey the scriptural injunction of, 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 excuse me, of Isaiah. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon in other words, the scripture implies that if the sufferer will, will turn from his unrighteous thoughts and let divine truth govern his thinking, he will be abundantly pardoned. That is healed. That is quite something. When you are abundantly pardoned, when you have truly repented and given up all your errors, guess what? You freedom. freedom, yes, freedom, yahoo, whoopee, hallelujah. It brings out that pardoning and healing is, is like one and the same thing. But, you know, you don't get pardoned unless you're truly doing this. Um, you know, you can't fake it, in other words. And, and you know in your heart if you're faking it or not. So, I don't know. Somebody that came to me the other day was my, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know what, not what they do to themselves. And it came to me, forgive me, Father, for I know not what I'm doing to offend you. Please show me. I want to be shown with all my heart. That came to me the other day, and I, I thought that was... I. That, <laughs> So that was, but. Well, that's good. Well, that's right. And God will show you, especially if you're struggling. And that's a righteous prayer. It is a righteous it? prayer. That's the prayer. And God answers that. Yes. That's a better prayer than, you know, God heal me of this sickness right now. 
Now I want to spend a, a little bit too on the on the the alabaster box, <laughs> that beautiful story. Um, I heard someone this week talking about it, a, a minister, and and saying a few things I hadn't considered about it before. Um, first, that that ointment, it was of the highest quality, very expensive. In fact. It would take a year's wages of that time to buy this oil. It was that expensive. And so Mary was giving the Lord her very best, right? There's some question about who she was. I mean, Mrs. Eddy makes it clear it's, it's Mary Magdala who had been a sinner. I mean, some people think it might have been the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Whoever it was, was giving the Lord her her, her very best. Um, one of the beautiful articles Carrie sent me, which I it's too long to go into, but it says that she expressed every quality of the Beatitudes. And when you think about it, she did. Mm-hmm. Every quality, poor in spirit, mourn, meek shall inherit the earth, hungering and thirsting, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, all of those qualities she was expressing. It also goes into this um, this perfume. This is what I found from another uh, commentary. The alabaster box in this passage contained pure nard, also called spike nard. Spike nard is honeysuckle, is a honeysuckle plant found at high altitudes in the Himalayas, which has small pink flowers while in bloom. Now, obvious, this, it's hard to get this. That's why it's so expensive. It's, a, it's underground stem can be crushed and made into an amber-colored aromatic essential oil. Nard oil is also used as a perfume and is thought to have, I never say that, medicinal medicinal properties. Well, and then this other, this other preacher was saying, you know, to anoint his head with this, that the smell was so fragrant and so beautiful and that it would linger and he brought out the point that, you know, maybe when, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, even when he was on the cross, he could smell that beautiful fragrance, right? And it would comfort, it would be of comfort to remember there was one person who who realized who and what he was and was so hugely grateful for him. And, you know, in the other two stories, and Mark and Matthew of this, do you know, you know, what the disciples said about it? Didn't you just say we should sell? Yeah, what a waste. Yes. I said, what a waste. When his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. And it makes you want to cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
yeah. his disciples. And also, I didn't realize this either, Simon, Simon the leper, Jesus healed him of leprosy. And there's a good chance that Lazarus was there. He'd been raised from the dead a few days earlier. This happened right before uh, Jesus was crucified. So it is hugely, it's a hugely important story. And you know, Jesus, I was thinking this the other day that we we are supposed to tithe, give a tenth part. Jesus gave everything, you know, mm-hmm. and certainly a year's wages is a lot more than a tenth part. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a big deal. It's a big and deal. It should not be undercut. No, so. and and it says too in these other um, the Mark and Matthew that Jesus says this woman will be spoke spoke of for all time. Her yeah. sacrifice. See, now this was a sacrifice, a real sacrifice, not the sacrifice of killing a, a sheep for God's sakes, but a real sacrifice of her money. It showed true devotion. All of it, her weeping, her washing his feet with her hair, all Anna. of it. Pardon me, go ahead, Florence. Uh, honor, I said honor and uh, reverence. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is, it is so important, this state of thought. And she is mentioned all these years later. She is mentioned. And what did Mrs. Eddy do with this story? First in our Christian science practice. Yes, it is. And why is that? No, why not? I mean, it's just it's, it's such a. We want to see what we seek. Seek Jesus. If we want to, see, if we do, we seek him this way, or has the Pharisees seek him? It requires her state of thought to be able to practice Christian Science and heal. Thank you. It's beautiful. And to be healed. To be healed. I think it's really interesting that the flower, the spikenard, um, only grew at a elevated um, mm-hmm. mountaintop or whatever. And it really shows to me, at least, um, that Mary's thoughts were so elevated that she got who Jesus was. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, was able to do the sacrifice um, that she that she did. While others, even though, like you said, Lazarus or whoever, Simon, um, had things done to them. But Mary was able to see um, with spiritual sight um, who Jesus was. And as a result, you know, she performed the devotion that she did. Thank you. Uh Very good. Thank you. It also said that these events took place, one of the commentaries, in a town called Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, who was healed. Bethany was the home of Jesus' friends, um, Mary and Martha, as well as Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. And, and he also ascended into heaven in the vicinity of Bethany. Many scholars agree that the meaning of Bethany is house of affliction, poor house. Bethany is a place for the care of the sick and poor is also supported in the biblical text by the mention of Simon the leper, Lazarus. All of these things were going on in Bethany. So it was a place 
where there were, you know, a lot of poor, sick people in need of healing. And all of this is relevant to the story. And of course, the beautiful alabaster jar, which is, I guess, a beautiful, what, marble or something. They said it was made um, part of Solomon's temple, was made from the alabaster. And you had to um, break the top of it, which she did, to get it all out. And she didn't hold any of it back for herself or, any, or, the, or anything. She gave it all to the Christ, unreservedly, unreservedly. It's interesting. She's considered a sinner, and yet she she saw, you know, the honor in Jesus. She saw, you know, the Christ in her in him. It's amazing. It is. It is. But again, this is why so often it it is the sinner that gets it, while the one who's had the the good life or thinks they've never done anything wrong, the self righteous, don't get it. Yeah. She was grateful to be freed from that sin. It was destroyed in her consciousness. And she knew it. So all, all of these things, all of the, what we've talked about, or, you know, the, these are the, the entryway, the doors to our oneness with God. And as much as we can do this, follow upon in purpose and have this spirit of Mary, um, the more we will receive of this wonderful truth, we will realize our oneness with the Father. It's quite beautiful. There's more, plenty more, but I guess it's almost time to end. Um, and Gary's going to read from another of my favorite authors, William McCracken, uh, something that Carrie sent about the New Jerusalem. And in it, he, he compares the old Jerusalem, where we did have all this fussing and fuming and the Pharisees and Sadducees, to the New Jerusalem, which is Christian science, our oneness with the Father. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the English, they play this beautiful song. I forget who writes it, but it's called New Jerusalem. It always makes me cry. They usually play it in church. I'm sure Anne and those of our English people know all about it. <laughs> I don't know if any of you ever heard that New Jerusalem, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's in Chariots of Fire. Oh, that's right. It's in the movie Chariots of Fire. It's just something very beautiful. All right, Gary, we'll end on this. Okay. William McCracken writes, Old Jerusalem typifies the hard and barren dogmas of ecclesiasticism tyrannizing over its votaries with a tyranny worse confounded. Out of old Jerusalem came the scribes and Pharisees. Saul, the inadequate king, reigned there, and Ananias, the murderous high priest, conspired there for Jesus' crucifixion. It is the abode of the stiff-necked, the self-righteous, those careful of tithing mint, anise, and cumin, the herbs that border a garden, but forgetful of charity and loving kindness. Of the temple in old Jerusalem, Jesus said that not one stone of it should be left upon another. And his prophecy came true, for its exact site is difficult to find today. 
It was over this old Jerusalem that the great master uttered those sorrowful words, containing both a warning and a lament. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Mrs. Eddy's definition of this old Jerusalem is in part, Science and Health, page 589, mortal belief and knowledge obtained from the five corporeal senses, the pride of power and the power of pride, sensuality, envy, oppression, tyranny. But New Jerusalem is a heavenly home everywhere present founded upon the spiritual stone which the builders rejected. Its fair stones cannot be overthrown, nor its sight lost, because it is everywhere. Let the idea of New Jerusalem go from land to land and shore to shore, until there is no spot where this New Jerusalem cannot be found. Obedience and gratitude are constant milestones on the way to the holy city. These qualities inspire and sustain. They counteract the weariness of the road and lift up the wayfarer. Put against a stone. Perfect love is the new Jerusalem, which casteth out fear, envy, hate, and all ungodliness. As John beheld the vision, so may all who will seek it by the way of life, truth, and love. For he said, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Years ago, the leader of Christian science could see the risks and rewards which accompanied her beloved cause and admonished her followers accordingly. She wrote, in retrospection and introspection, The tempter is vigilant, awaiting only an opportunity to divide the ranks of Christian science and scatter the sheep abroad. But if God be for us, who can be against us? The cause, our cause, is highly prosperous, rapidly spreading over the globe, and the morrow will crown the effort of today with a diadem of gems from the New Jerusalem. End quote. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.